We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As always, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. And all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the retweets. Thanks for the emails. Just, you know, thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Matthew Hunt, founder and CEO of Automation Wolf, which helps B2B businesses increase leads through strategic content. Matthew founded Automation Wolf after selling his previous marketing company and taking some time off to decide what he wanted to do next. Ultimately, he focused on trying to solve the problem of how to help businesses and entrepreneurs leverage their time with more impact while also building their network. The result? He developed a strategy for creating a month's worth of LinkedIn contact in an hour and a half. Wow, that's pretty good. Matthew drives home the point that success in business comes about from building relationships and creating community by earning trust. Ultimately, sales and marketing should be a long game, but one that can be done with minimal time and money while making a big impact. Matthew thinks of marketing as happening in three tiers. One, through short-term content. Two, through long-form content where you demonstrate your skills. And third, through a controlled form where you provide the structure to engage with potential clients and build relationships. Matthew shares his own unique networking strategy for bringing people together and sharing ideas. Now, Let's get better together. Matthew Hunt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, we were talking a little bit before we hit record, and you know, you're the founder of Automation Wolf. Uh, you're doing a lot of great stuff and trying to figure out how to do demand gen, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But we were just funny. We were sort of, I guess, geeking out, maybe would be the word I would use about 
the like the similar stuff I'm trying to build with the story funnel and my kind of my approach and how over time things have morphed in the sales marketing and strategic communications world. And just like, you know, we got to educate this next generation of entrepreneurs to think a little different because um, they've been fed a line that, I don't know, the story doesn't match in my opinion. So before, but before we talk all about that, which is just going to be super awesome, um, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my product and service was developed out of a need for myself <laughs> and a problem that I saw very common for most busy CEOs and founders, particularly who specialize in long buying cycles or sell to other businesses of the B2B marketplace. So I work with a lot of um, agency owners. I work with a lot of uh, B2B coaches or fractional CMOs, as well as like B2B SaaS companies that uh, have a high ticket priced item, you know, not like a, a, a not a low cost one like SEM Rush, even though they're a client of mine, um, but uh, usually something that's much more in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to do. Interesting. So it's more B2B then traditionally. Everything I do is very B, B2B. At, at the end of the day. And, and so re- really at the end of the day, what I realized is, so I've, I've owned two other companies prior to this, both were agencies. Uh, I exited one in 14 and one in 18, took a little time off, which is always good. It's a great time to be able to see the trees from the forest when you have a break for a year. <laughs> it's really, really hard to see the label when you're inside the jar. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you took like a sabbatical then. I would well, it wasn't a sabbatical. I mean, I literally sold the company. I didn't oh. know. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of like uh, find yourself wander in the woods kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really wish I actually took a little bit more time. The reality oh. was, right. you know, I I took I I really only took three months off because I was itching to get back at it. But in reality, I spun my wheels for about nine months trying to figure out what this next thing was going to be. Um, and I probably could have just taken the whole year, which probably would have been actually more productive. And I probably would have found the thing that I was looking for quicker, but because I was so eager to just get back at it, cause I was so bored and used to running, you know, hundred miles per hour. I just didn't know what to do with myself, you know? So whenever you sell a company, you know, it's really important to have a plan afterwards. It's kind of like retiring, right? You don't, if you retire, you just kind of die. You don't want to retire. You want to figure out what, well, what's that next thing going to look like, including, you know, the time that you're going to give yourself um, to breathe and just, you know, recalibrate and recharge those batteries fully. So um, yeah, it took a little, it took a minute. Um, but uh, once I figured out what it was, I was off to the races again and it's, it's been a ton of fun. And that, that was automation wolf then. And that's Automation Wolf. Yeah. So Automation Wolf actually started out as a as a as an outbound um, agency that would mm-hmm. just sort of spam everybody um, to um, get business. And the only really real reason I did outbound was because I sold my inbound marketing agency and I had a non-compete to not do inbound for oh. a, a period of time. Oh, okay. But, but after doing a more aggressive outbound for a while, I started realizing this sucks and is very limited thinking. And I really kind of had a look back window on like, well, what, what did I do to grow these two other agencies? What were the universal things that are real problems? And I really started talking to my clients and customers and really asking them what the real problem was. 
And the biggest problem really was time. Mm -hmm. So that was one huge thing. A lot of the time, there's all kinds of things you can do in the world, but if you don't have the time to do it, it just doesn't, you know, go. And, and, and when you're talking about most, like even marketing agency founders, most of them suffer from the kids goes with no shoes. That's the cobbler syndrome, right? Where, where they are so busy taking care of their clients and their team, they never get to do their own marketing. And, and I yeah. start saying, oh, that's, that's a real, real challenge. Guilty, guilty as charged. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so, no, it's so normal. And, yeah. and, yeah. It's, and then the other people I realized was like, even if they, they were doing their own marketing, a lot of times they were working on things that was way too much effort to get the impact that they're looking for. So we had to find a better lead domino that created more impact. So I'm always asking like, effort-wise, like how much effort do we put in for how much impact that we get back? And once I started looking at some of those very sort of first principles, um, decision tree filters, it started to get rid of all the, the, you know, all the fat, we got to trim the fat off of it and go, okay, what, what is the MVP? What are the important things that really move the needle here? And I started to realize, look, there's really only three pillars to transformation for people when they're in B2B. So there's what I call the short form, then we got the controlled, then we've got the long form and then the controlled form. Okay. And you need all three for it to really sing and, and work well together. So most people grow, grow their businesses initially through referrals and word of mouth and doing good business as, as you should, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Challenges, they just don't know how to make that predictable. So one of the easiest things to do is just find a way where you can stay top of mind without it coming across as being salesy or markety. And so one of the best things that most of these people can do is work on their snackable content and get it on a place like LinkedIn as an example, you right. wherever your ideal audience is. But for most of these individuals, it's, it's LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. The challenge is creating that snackable content is hard. And it's also, if you're not able to do all of it, it becomes very inconsistent. So it doesn't really work that well. So what I did was I was like, let me solve that, that problem first. So the way we solved that problem was I figured out a way that we could create all of your social media content for a platform like LinkedIn in one and a half hours per month. <laughs> and so we developed wow. that problem. Yeah, we developed that problem and it worked really well. And so what ended up happening as a byproduct of that, that, particular product was we learned, oh, this, this is really interesting. The, our clients are now able to stay consistent on a regular basis that all of a sudden they start getting way more referrals from their warm network, just because they were top of mind and they were adding the right kind of content. They also helped them with talent acquisition. Also the way we structure it, because we interview people on a zoom call like this, we actually use a tool called Riverside. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. And and we interview them for an hour and we lead with the interview with the intention of it being short form content versus long form content. So the problem is when you take long form content, it's really hard to actually make it short form content. Yeah. And, and the reality is when you're in a social media network, like, you know, LinkedIn or any of them, people are there to consume short form content. They're there to procrastinate or to be in discovery mode. So they're, if something's like 10 minutes, they don't know you, they're going to like tap out. But if they see that as 60 seconds, they'll be like, all right, I'll give it a shot. It's only 60 seconds. I'm kind of trying to waste a little bit of time anyways, or take a break between meetings and they'll consume your, your, your content. And usually the ones who consume it the most are people who actually already have some sort of relationship with you and, and know you. And that's why it leads to more, more referrals at the end of the day on a regular basis. Now, if you do it consistently enough, 
there's other people that you may not know who start to see it and they start to get to know you. So you got to think of your short form content as like, no, or keep you top of mind, but it's not going to get you the transformation that you're looking for. Nobody watches a 60 second video and goes, all right, I'm ready to buy. <laughs> <laughs> you will. It depends on the price. probably. Right <laughs> so, so you need something that right. will do the long form content where they can stay with you a little bit longer. So this could be a podcast like this. You know, I usually recommend someone just actually figures out a very simple workshop that you can run once a month. And what this does is this gives you the ability to do one to many selling. Because the reality is most of the people don't need more salespeople. They don't need more SDRs, BDRs, and more appointments. The goal is not to get lots of appointments on the calendar. The goal is to leverage your time better. And usually the best salesperson in any organization is still going to be the founder of the CEO. Oh, and if, yeah. you're, if they're small, they should still be doing this all. Until they get kind of get above you know, two, $3 million, you don't need any salespeople. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. You just need one person, but you need to better leverage the time. So if you can turn that long-form content where you can demonstrate your abilities over the period of 30 minutes to 60 minutes, well, now you'll start to get transformation. And then you need a third pillar that you need in there, which is some sort of controlled form where you can put those people who came to the workshop in a controlled environment where you can continue to build trust and goodwill and reciprocity for those who are not ready to buy right now. And for those who are ready to buy, they'll self-select into the program that you're looking for. And so that's the first step of getting this down. You need a short form a form of a production, you need a long form form of production, and you need a controlled form form of production. If you get those three down, then you're off to the races and you have a predictable way of creating, you know, for, you know, really hot in-demand prospects and converting sales. And when you do it this way, the great thing is when you focus on the relationship this way and building this goodwill this way, you, you're doing a lot of pre-selling. So when people get to you, they already know about you. Just remember, really no selling can take place until they know, like, and trust you. And most people try selling too early and really you shouldn't do any selling until you have the trust. And when you, when you know you have the trust, the great news is when it comes to sales is you can suck at sales and you can charge more. Right. Well, so. yeah. I mean, I suck at sales, and <laughs> you know, it's it's and it's interesting because you know we talked about this whole be of service idea, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my friends, Mike, who you know, I sort of did this by just default, but he really like nailed it in the head. He's like, well, look, if you're of service and you're like building this community, like as you mentioned, and I think this whole community idea is a really powerful thing because I think. What we what I and I it was what you mentioned. It's like we used to be in tribes and we used to be have a good community and we like that community got blown apart. Now we're just scattered all over the world and there's no connection anymore. And then people rely on ads and all this other just absolute horrible growth hacking stuff that just gets arbitraged out. I mean, we can all smell it, right? I mean, I love your video. It's like we all hate we all we all hate being marketed to, and you're like. Yeah, even as a marketer, a PR, professional comms person, I hate it too. But the thing that I've resonated with, and I'm, I love that you brought this point out about a group, like a, like a community, um, is because I'm, I'm trying to do this right now. You know, I've launched this whole story funnel idea. And one of the, I'm taking this course about how to build an ebook and, and all this sort of thing. And it's a good content and everything, but it's like this whole, it's to your point, it's like be of service build a community of like-minded individuals and add value and see what happens. And the guys over at trends, I don't know if you know who trends is by the hustle. They're 
I think their Facebook group is like 14,000 people. And it's just this rich set of folks trying to help each other out. Um, and that's like, I mean, that's massive, like huge. I mean, mine right now, I think is I'm at like 52, right? But sure. still, like I'm just still starting it. But I, I see the power of this um, even in other communities I've been in because, again, like-minded individuals helping each other, a very powerful thing. And I like your point about pre-sell. Like it's not, doesn't feel salesy. And of course, everyone sort of knows, okay, you know, there's stuff that we can offer, but done in a nice way, done in a way, a nurturing way, like this podcast, right? Like, you know, we talk about great things. It's a huge amount of value. If, you, if you're a next generation of entrepreneur looking to be educated and inspired, this is the show to come to, because we're just going to talk about like, you know, crazy uncle Jari and crazy uncle Matthew are going to spit wisdom. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, these old guys, but like, oh, maybe they got some point there because we're, <laughs> we're taking you like, this is the thought process. Like it's hard to sit down. I mean, it's going to be hard to sit down with me or you one-on-one and ask these questions, but we're adding, you know, we have this now we're trying to build a community. And I'm curious, like you say, like LinkedIn's a good place. Are there other places that are like community oriented or that you would recommend? I mean, I know you have a whole program in this, but I mean, I love the idea of short form, long form and like capture content. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. And as, as a story goes, right? Like storytelling in general, it's like you've got the through line of your story. You've got the beginning hook, the middle build and the ending payoff, which is essentially that framework just told a different way. So I'm curious, this community aspect, how, how'd you, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Well, the, the, for most businesses, you know, they have an unfair advantage to themselves, which is they should really focus on who's local to them to begin with. You know, it doesn't need to be a huge community. So I'll give you an example. One of the tactics we used to grow our, my second agency was we just ran a monthly mastermind dinner for CMOs. And so we didn't invite the CMOs out so we could do a pitch. It wasn't a dinner and pitch you something or a lunch and learn and then pitch you something. It was literally like, Hey, we know you're alone in your role. Once a month, we get four or five other CMOs in the same city together. And guess what? Birds of a feather want to flock together. Right. And we would invite them out to dinner and say, dinner's on us. And, and it's another opportunity to do one-to-many selling or one-to-many relationship building. We would just have dinner and we would follow a very simple a format that I learned from a gentleman named Jason Gaynard. And he wrote a book on this mastermind dinners and he uses what's called the rose format. And when we just have dinner, we get dinner out of the way and we'd go around the table and make it really workshoppy. We'd say, Hey, like, you know, what, what happens instead of this dinner stays at this dinner, just like Las Vegas, we're going to go around the table and we're going to share some insights and help each other out. And we're going to use the rose front, which is share one petal, share one bud, share one thorn. And so this way it was led with positivity. So people would share something that they just did. That was awesome. Something they're excited about. And then one thing that's in a thorn in their ass that they need help with. And then because they were all CMOs, they got to really kind of like dig in at a deeper level. And at the end of the dinner, they're like, fuck, that was awesome. And then at the and then they realize that I'm not a CMO and they're like, Matt, why are you here? What do you do? <laughs> 
Well, I'd have a good answer for that. I happen to happen to help CMOs make some transformation. And every time at the end of the dinner, without fail, either one led to as being a client eventually, or they kicked up a referral to me at the end of the day, because I was focused on creating community for those groups of people of something that they actually wanted to have or were craving. And it was a very inexpensive, easy way to uh, find leverage in my life because I got to eat dinner anyways. I might as well spend two hours. So that'd be like a minor form of it offline. There's lots of different variations of building community you can do through private Slack communities, Facebook groups, Discord, you know, you, you name it your own thing on Mighty Networks. I mean, there's so many ways to slice and dice this, but for most businesses, they can grow you know, multi-million dollars just breaking bread and being a human being in a belly-to-belly situation, you know, mm. that's what I would recommend at the end of the day. So for most, that's very doable. And, yeah. and listen to me, if you do a cold outreach to someone and you say, and you're a stranger, stranger means danger. I mean, we've all been taught this since we were three years old, right? If you did a cold outreach and said, Hey, I'd like to do a demo of my software. I'd like to pitch you my services. They'd be like, fuck off. Who are you? Right. Right. But if you're saying, Hey, I have a dinner, (laughs) there's no catch, no pitching come. It's on me. You get to hang out with other cool people like yourself who are like-minded. There's a number of people who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. And then it also shows you that they exhibit probably some of the right values of attracting the perfect kind of client because they're interested in being around like-minded people and learning and networking. That's a great client or customer to have, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost akin to those Jeffersonian dinners. I don't know if you've heard of the Jeffersonian dinner idea or, you know, Franklin, Franklin dinners and stuff. It's a little bit different format. Um, but that was all about like discuss. It's almost like the salon model where you want to really like tackle a concept as an example. Um, this Rose idea is a little bit or Rose what does rose rose petal was it just it's just the the rose method i guess we could call it it's just Mm -hmm. a way of giving some structure without like overthinking it Mm -hmm. on on how do you how do you make this really useful right so you know and where it becomes really helpful for people that they not only connect with cool people they had transformation because they all got really good ideas that they could go back to the office and lead with you know and so it's 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 not about the it's not about the how expensive the restaurant or where the restaurant is in fact i really recommend that you use a really low key place it's actually not about the food um you know it's not about whining and dining this is this is not what it's about but it becomes almost like a little bit of a secret society and then as you do them for a while what ends up happening is people start talking about you and saying like hey were you invited to the dinner like you know oh i heard about the dinner yeah my friend told me you went to your dinner he said it was awesome you know <laughs> and then people really start looking forward to it. And in fact, sometimes you don't have to do, you know, do outreach anymore. You can just ask other people, Hey, do you know other individuals who look like this, who would want to attend the next one? Why don't you do an introduction? And next thing you have this referral engine happening and you know, what's the cost at the end of the year, you spend 400 bucks at a dinner, 500 bucks at a dinner at the end of the year, you spent six grand. I mean, talk about the lowest budget marketing budget ever. <laughs> to just yeah. be yeah, in front yeah, of yeah. people. And this is where business gets done. Even this is why trade shows work, right? Trade shows yeah. don't work because of the I booth. was going to say trade shows. Tra- yeah. Trade shows don't work because of the booth. Trade shows work no. because of the drinks before and after and the lunch and the dinners. It has nothing or what you do outside of the conference that you're that you're even at. It has nothing to do with the speakers that are happening. It has to do with the networking that's happening around the coffee station and the donut station and, and so yeah. forth. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's the relationship at the end of the day. You're just doing it in a controlled way 
that's that's predictable for you. And so, and and then you need the controlled form, you know, as a way to nurture the community. You can do this online or offline or a combination of both. I do both. But um, you need that for people who are not ready to necessarily buy right now, because the biggest problem right now with outbound and inbound marketing is this very, very limited thinking. You're only really targeting and looking for the the one to three percent of people who are in market, and that's 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 that is a terrible way to think about people. That basically you're you're just looking at them as like another lead, yeah. you know, or another sale. And yeah. as soon as you start thinking of leads and sales, you've already gone on the wrong gone down the wrong path. What you really need to think is how do I build more trust and how do I build more community? The byproduct of trust and community is leads and sales. And so once you change your mindset on the way you're going about doing it, you start going, ah, I need to tackle this problem pretty differently. Now, I understand that there's still questions about how do I mark attribution and ladder this up? And we can talk about that in a little bit because you can track it and, and make it very predictable, but you have to change your mindset first about this. And here's how you can change your mindset about this. Because once, once you realize how small thinking that you're doing as an individual, you'll go, oh my God, okay, I need to change this. So when you do inbound and outbound marketing, it's like this. Let's just say that you are, uh, I don't know, a web design and development company that specifically targets you know, B2B coaches and fractional CMOs as an example, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if you took a thousand of those fractional CMOs and you put them in a room and you stood in front of the room, you said, okay, who here is looking for a new website um, or rebranding a website or maybe a marketing funnel that you need to build between now and the next 90 days? Well, one to 3% of the room is going to raise their hand. Right. right. Great. What about the other 97%? What if you change the question to this? Who here, guys, out of this room between now and the end of their careers is going to need a a website or a website rebrand or another new marketing funnel? Well, the whole room is going to raise their hands so they can all buy from you. The challenge is you just don't know when that's going to be. So, And you shouldn't even really care. What you should care about is Uh. creating these events where you can... You can get tra- you can get transformation from the one to three percent still, but then you can take the whole market and build a community around that marketplace so that you have a relationship with all of them so that when they are ready to buy, yours is going to be the first name that comes up. Or even if they're comparing you to others, you're not going to be treated like a commodity because you've been making all these trust deposits and trust equity and, and building goodwill with them for so long because we don't buy based on you know, price, we base, we buy based on trust. It's the devil, you know, versus the devil you don't know. Right. Yeah. And you never want to be treated as a commodity. That's the worst experience ever. So how do you do that? You beat that by actually owning real relationships, owning the community. Yeah. That's a great point. It's a really good point. It's interesting about community building because, uh, yeah, I, I belong to a lot of these communities. I mean, I, uh, just naturally curious. So I try them all out and see. Um, and like the trends community, as I mentioned, I think, yeah, there's like 14,000 people in it and it gets a little overwhelming because there's a, so many, there's a lot of activity, but what's interesting is that it sort of takes on a life of its own. So the original people that set the community up were like interacting and answering questions, but now the community themselves answer each other's questions. So you feel a strong bond. I mean, I was literally in it today and someone had a question about, I don't even remember what it was, but it was something that I knew something about. So I'm like, oh yeah, like it was like less than 10 seconds for me to say like, hey, yeah, this is what I did. Um, and, 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 and it's interesting because in fact, a couple of folks are doing something similar to what I'm doing. 
And they're like, hey, I'd love to talk with you about it, right? Like, how are you doing it, right? And, and this, I don't think I'd ever, I don't know if I'll ever do business with them, but just the, the knowledge transfer is powerful. Because now, like to your said, you're at, you're at a dinner, you have your problem. So, hey, well, I've, I solved that before. Hey, check this out, right? Totally. Well, this is another thing where people don't understand. There's these are so these are universal laws. This is, comes back to physics. Okay, so right. this is called the network effect, right? right? Right. And and every big company that has grown today, whether it's Amazon, Uber, you know, Shopify, Google, you, you, we just name it, LinkedIn, anything like that that has massive growth, all leverage the network effect. They leverage something called the Metcalf law, where where it can take on a life of its own. So this community self regulated but because you're the owner of it, you always get the benefit on the fringes of it. Same thing with also commenting. So many people are, are like, they spend so much time doing private DMs, basically, which is not even socially acceptable. Most people don't even like it when you're a stranger, but they don't realize that if they put that energy into commenting in these communities or on content and putting a really thoughtful comment, it creates a lot more leverage. Your comment has a one-to-many selling ability. Like lots of people yep. can read it and see it, right? Yeah. And and so instead of like, you know, doing the email and you can really go big and write really long form stuff to get huge transformation. So, you know, even if a day, if you spend an hour a day prospecting, it'd be better used to spend an hour a day leaving two or three really thoughtful comments in these communities where lots of people can see it. Um, you'll get way more leverage out of it that just compounds because you also remember that comment like lives there and seen for a really, really long time. At a and long half-life for sure. Yeah. And it can lead to other opportunities. Like, Hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast or this or that, or this, or let's get on the phone or that's really interesting. Just like you said. Yeah. And it's not considered weird or spammy because it was done publicly. So I don't, you know, it's again, it's a, it's a mindset change of thinking about leverage, effort, community, trust. And what is your measuring stick, right? If you're just measuring it with leads and sales, it, you start doing really weird, spammy, weird stuff. You know, it really kind of turns people off and leaves a bad taste in their mouth. But if you uh, approach it in a different way, then you start leading with the right intent. And it's always about intent. We can smell your intent a mile away. <laughs> oh, especially, I mean, people are very savvy. Like it's not, yeah. you know, like it's funny, like you mentioned LinkedIn. So I get LinkedIn messaged all the time, these cold pitches. And I can, you know, I'm a, I'm an expert in pitching and email and cold. Like I do this for a living. Right. And it bugs the hell out of me how bad they are. Like you don't even know me and you got my, you got my company wrong. You got what I want to do wrong. You don't even know my name. And now you're like harassing me because I haven't responded to your crappy cold outreach. Like, just don't do it. You know, the ones that have been the best have been like, Hey, let's connect. I saw we're having something interesting. And then that's it. And then over time, like we see each other, like we interact. Oh, hey, you know, look what Matthew put up. Hey, that's pretty cool. Like, oh yeah, like, oh, interesting. You know, like that's how I get to know people. And and that's how people get to know me on the podcast. Like I am this, uh, like in real life, like I just, yeah. it's not an act. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to- yeah, totally. Well, I mean, that's the, the reality is this is like when you're going for, when you, you know, very rarely do you ever should go for direct pitch offer occasionally, very occasionally you have the right offer that makes sense that that you can do that for, but most of the time, you know, you're going for the connection request so that they can see your content and to be genuine over time, you're playing the long game. So this comes back to, again, like other, other, you know, laws, universal laws. So 
one is just understanding short-term pain for long-term gain, right? You know, there, there's something that, that has to do with that in, in really understanding that, you know, most people overestimate what they can get done in a year and greatly underestimate what they can get done in a decade. But what they don't also realize is the laws of compound interest and why Einstein said, right, it's the eight wonder of the world. And the reason why it's the eight wonder of the world is because those that understand it, earn it, and those that don't pay it, right? They're just too short, too short-term cycles. And they're not patient enough to know the different steps, or they're not looking at the trustometer. Because the reality is, like I've said already, we only buy from people that we know, like, and trust. Well, we can't trust you if we don't like you, and we and we can't like you if we don't know you, right? Okay. So there's something, and taking getting to know you takes a little while. So you have to give the time that that patience and that time to do that, and then we have to hit the right notes for them to like you, and then we have to hit the right notes to trust you. Once you've got through that no like and trust, then you may have an opportunity when appropriate to do some selling, but usually it happens very organically. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting idea. I mean, that's a very, I mean, it's a, I think it's almost like getting back to basics, you know, because like some of the best copywriters in the world, like, you know, Gary Halbert and Joe Sugarman and all these guys, right. And like, What's so interesting is, is, you know, even uh, Claude Hopkins, like the the scientific advertising guy. So, you know, they'd write these sales letters, which everyone's like, Jari, why do you even read these sales letters that people would mail in the mail or be in a magazine, right? Well, a lot of it it was one, one awesome storytelling and really good writing. But two, you know, over time, it was this, this trust thing. I mean, like Joe Sugarman was the blue blocker sunglasses. For those of you that don't know what those are, look them up. Very famous back in the day, you know, whole thing. But, it, but he, he told the story and he also like told the truth in a way that people could like connect. And, you know, not everyone wanted it, but it was authentic. And it had, you know, it was like being of service in one sense. You know, I just, I just find that, that, a lot of people that want to do this growth hacking and like throw money at ads, Google, Facebook, or whatever, they like spend way too much money on that stuff and way less money on building relationships, good content, getting people to know you, getting people to like you, getting people to trust you. This fundamental need for humans, connection and community. And that connection and community is done through storytelling and mutual storytelling. I mean, like we're, it's in our DNA. Like, a good story it captivates us. That's how you and I are talking on this Zoom call. Totally. Our ancestors told the best stories. Totally. And, and an example of that, those letters, if you notice about all those letters and all those individuals who are famous copywriters, hmm. all of their letters were, were a form of long form content. Right. <laughs> so you got short form. Today we have short form because of social media. So right. you, can't, you can't ignore it. That's the thing. But the next step is a long form experience. Either it's a podcast, a workshop, long form content, right. a, play, a playbook, something that creates transformation where you can demonstrate your ability and get transformation. Now, not everybody's going to transform at that time because they're not ready. That's why you have the community. The community is the other form that you can put people in and then they'll bounce back to your long form when the timing is right. Or even the short form will bring them around. They can bounce up and down anywhere they want between those three short form, long form form controlled form. If you do that and you have three mechanisms that do that, then you're off to the races and you just need to rinse and repeat, just like the shampoo bottle says. <laughs> Calgon, take me away. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, what's funny. You, you bring up kind of the, 
back to basics, there's, I interviewed um, this guy from Postpilot. Uh, and it was so cool because Postpilot basically sends postcards, right? And you're like, postcards, those are ridiculous. Well, what's interesting is that email, like, like, so say you have a customer and you want to nurture them. And you, of course you want to be of value that they, they bought from you. So, you know, you know, their address, you know, their email, whatever you send them an email, like you said, and the open rates at best 25, 30% maybe. Mm-hmm. So only 25 to 30% of the people you've done business with before see your message, see your ad value or whatever. Whereas with an actual physical postcard, which costs you actual money, it's like 80% or more because like it's the effort to your point, like you're putting the effort in to build the relationship. Yeah. It's cheap totally. to send an email. It's not cheap to send a postcard. It's not cheap to send a prize or a gift or whatever. I mean, fascinating. Well, the tri- so this is lumpy mail. Lumpy mail has been an amazing thing for everybody for so long. The easiest, yeah. the easiest way for a lumpy mail is, is either really be, there's three things you can do that, that makes it work really well. So one is you're either extremely thoughtful the way, you know, I uh, forget his name off the top of my head, but he wrote the book, Giftology. Okay. Great, great book. If you haven't read it um, about how to really give really great gifts. And he has a whole business built around it now. So go Google it. But the other way is to, you know, use comedy so that it's really funny. And the third way that is the easiest hack in the world that gets, it passes as well, the the ability to send gifts, because there's a lot of companies that they have rules and procurement, they can't accept gifts, right? But just, just send books. So this is something that I do all the time with, especially with existing clients, you know, I send a book to them almost one a month. Right. And it's something that's something that's related to what I do already. I don't even need to write the book because they don't want to know how to do it. They just want to know that you have a process or a system. And then when they do that, so for example, the mastermind dinners, well, Jason Gaynard wrote the best book on mastermind dinners. I just mail that and in Amazon, it gets there in a day. It costs me 20 bucks. People then, if they read it, I know that they're going to transform because again, that's long form content. They're like, that's a really good idea. I need your help setting up my mastermind dinner strategy. Let's talk, right? So there's all kinds of books that exist like this, and you can curate it depending on who it is and depending on what role it is that 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 interests them. And and also, if they read it, it also is another sign that they're a learner, right? Mm. And learners exhibit good values of people that you want to work with right? They're, they're open to ideas. They're always seeking out new stuff. They're great people to collaborate with. So I like to use lumpy mail through books and I just simply do it with like Amazon and you can write, put a little gift package on it, which makes it stand out. And it also, you can write a little note on it yeah. why you send it to them. And it cr- creates another touching point. And it's just a nice way to delight your existing clients that get you more business, or you can even create it into your prospecting program. We did some lumpy mail at my second agency too, um, in, in that process as well too. And it just, it just starts that, or even if you want to do it and you want to do something really specific, send in the book and then put a, a sticky note in it, like a yellow one on a certain channel and to say, Hey, I really thought that this chapter would really like stand out to you. This is something we really help people with. And they're going to for sure, like read the chapter or, or read the lines or the thing that you underlined the sticky note. And be like, that's really interesting. Right. They're going to answer or reply your next email. And you're like, Hey, did you get the book? It's going to start a conversation. Remember conversions happen in conversations. Interesting. Yeah. 
There's all again, kinds of really cool stuff you can do. Right, right, right. I, again, right. It, it's leading outwardly versus inwardly, right? Right. We're not thinking about me, 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 and we start thinking right. about you, you. You have to remember your prospects, like you are directing the movie, okay? You're the director and producer of, uh, of the movie that's about your customers. Yeah, I always like to say you're the mentor and your hero, your customer's the hero, and you're helping them on the hero's journey. Correct. Yeah. Make, I mean, make them the hero. Like one, yeah, of, one yeah, of my courses is always interview them. The easiest way to, to, to get in front of your customers is to, is to interview them. Yep. One, you get your content, but two, when you do an interview, that's just a discovery call without the sales pressure, which means you actually get to having real good conversations and building real relationships. Yep. Because the problem with this, with the discovery call is everybody's got their guard up. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and, you know, what's interesting. It's like, I always think of it as also, I don't know. I was just thinking about this the other day, as you brought, bring that up, because there's also, you want to, if someone, well, how do I put this in a like nice way? Well, I don't think I need to put it in a nice way. So what, (laughs) what you want to do is to what, what you said, you want to find the people you want to work with. Right. And Ideally, you find that in like the fastest way possible, although sometimes it's not fast and sometimes you just have to have a process, right? So discovery call, quote unquote, making it in a low stakes, value driven, hey, we're having a conversation, we're learning from each other, which is again, I'm a learner too. I love nothing more than like, you know, any author I have on, I pick their book up. Like I love authors. I just love the fact that people write stuff down. This is, this is great. Like I could just read all day. If I really wanted to, um, but it's a funny thing because I think it goes both ways. I think it's more of a, do you want to work with me, but can I work with you? And, and I think that two-way thing, a lot of people don't understand because I, it really is, especially B2B sales, high ticket, whatever. I mean, any, any, agency, the whole thing is like, can I work with this person if given the opportunity? And conversely, do I want to work with them? Because I've had lots of situations where it's like, I really shouldn't have worked with them because they didn't have the same ethos, honestly. And I didn't know that until we started working together. And I was always thinking, how do I, Yeah, how do I do that? Yeah, actually, there's a, actually a very easy way to do it. So I have a process called the two call closure method. And I and the first part of the two call closure method is called the audition. This is not where you audition for your client. This is where they audition for you. Now, you don't tell them that publicly, but in the back of your mind, that's the mindset you have. And you lead with actually asking value-based questions to begin with, because if you don't have the same values, you're going to and operate sort of on the same rules on how you evaluate things. It doesn't matter what work you're going to do, you're going to create conflict. And then mm-hmm. the worst thing that happens is when you on a client that's not a good fit for the values of you and your company is it creates a litany of other problems. And and I know this because I've seen the shit show that happens after I sold someone who shouldn't be sold to just because you can sell them doesn't mean you should. And so you have to have this process of doing that at, at, at the end of the day of of getting that right. Otherwise you just have churn later on and, and, or you create all these problems for your amazing team who's working so hard with you and your company, you don't want to serve them a plate of shit just because you need to hit some sales target. It's, yeah. it's, it's really, really important to say no. So, so the trick is really this is, is you do, you know, today, you know, who your ideal clients are when it comes to B2B, they're not invisible. So you can make a list and it's really easy to find their contact information. So then what do you, what do you do with that? Right? So how do we get them into our invisible marketing funnels where we can build trust, build community, delight them. 
And then when the timing is right, they'll they'll get into your appropriate marketing funnels, your appropriate sales funnels, without it necessarily having to have a lot of pressure. And then when they get there, you're you're, you're just trying to sort out for the very best clients. It's really really important that you do that uh, for your team. So Indeed. it's to- totally doable. And and I only know this because I did it all wrong. <laughs> many, 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 many times. This is why. This is why you know all all you you young and entrepreneurs need to listen to Crazy Uncle Matthew and Crazy Uncle Jari because there's a reason we've got the grays and the beards and the grays and the hair. Now, doesn't mean we know everything, but the thing that I always love is like you can learn from anyone. That's like my. It doesn't matter who you are, and it's always good. Like it's not necessarily the advice; it's the trend. And sort of the guardrails in which it's like, well, you know, I've heard this like 10 times, <laughs> like probably it's pretty good advice. I probably should listen and yeah. make up my own mind. I should get hit in the face with a brick. That's up to you. <laughs> I, 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 I got to tell you, so this is a funny thing. So look, your, your, your eyes and your ears only find what it's seeking, right? I mean, the, mm. the, 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 you know, the, the confirmation bias is so strong with humans. We, we don't, we don't realize what, what it really is. And even our algorithms on social media networks feed into it. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but so you have to definitely challenge yourself on those things, but here's a funny story. We, you know, you don't know who you're going to listen to because we have our own lenses on people and what we think and our opinions on things, you know, like the, the reality is, you know, everybody has an opinion, you know, just the same way that everybody has an asshole and they're about, about, about equivalent, you know, (laughs) on what they're worth. But my wife, I'll tell you my wife, she she would go, she would go mad, crazy. I would go away to some conference, have this moment networking or see some leader on stage spouting off something. And I go, aha, I get it. Great truth. I come all the way flying home. My wife would be like, Sandy, I know exactly what I need to do. And she'd be like, you idiot. I've been telling you that for five years. Right. So, so, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of times people are right there in your life telling you exactly what to do, you know, and you just will never hear it. You just need to hear it from whatever individual it is that you need to hear from, for whatever reason that you have some weird lens on that individual that they're, they know the thing that you think that they know. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really, really common. And we all fall victim to this. And it's, uh, you know, it's hard to get out of your own way sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I can second the listen to your spouse. <laughs> like, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, it's the, o- the only other person in the world that's got your back more than you Yeah, is the one that's like hooked their wagon to you. Like, you know, if the relationship's good, obviously there's caveats to that. And we all know that, but it's like. They're in it with you. It's sort of like on a startup. When you do a startup, it's like your partner's with you too. So they yeah. better be bought in. And yeah, if you know, you're gonna see it's interesting because I have that same problem. Like I'll hear it, it won't integrate, but then something will spark it, and then I'll be like, Oh, I listened to this great thing. And yeah. my fiance now, Minerva, would be like, I told you that about a month ago. And I'm like, oh. totally. So we hear it. It's just, we don't, it doesn't get triggered yet. Right. Yeah. Like, ah, and, but again, it's, it's great that way because I think, you know, 
It's a very good point. Gosh, that's a really, that's very another, astute. Another one is your team too. Mm. So a lot of times, a lot of leaders, you know, mm -hmm. think that they're just the team members or the employees and, or even really bad leaders think of them as the hired help, which is terrible. But right. the, but the reality is your team also usually can see this stuff a long way before you can. And so baking in a way to, you know, create an environment where there's, <clears throat> where people can be radically candor, right? With you and be very honest and candid with what's going on is really important, but you should go to your team because often they see the problems and even the solutions to it, but you know, you just haven't yeah. given them an opportunity to articulate it, or you haven't really truly sat down with your arms open, you know, out in the Jesus pose, <laughs> calm, <laughs> ready to receive, even yes. though sometimes the stuff's going to be at you, right? Oh, I mean, it's going to be you, painful. Yeah. You yeah. You have to be, be ready for it. You need to take a minute and deep breath and then you need to process it. And then you can go, okay. But the best thing to do is instead of you thinking that you need to be the person who needs to solve the problem, this is where you need to get the opportunity to your team to solve it. So you can start asking them, Hey, so what's the solution, right? Let's come up with right. all the different ideas. And then, and then right. when you allow them to actually solve the problem, you actually empower them and you actually get more buy-in. And a lot of times their ideas are great. And they can come from completely different departments too. Like you, you, you'd be so surprised at how many mm -hmm. great creative ideas are different departments. Sometimes like, you know, the, the, the IT department can come up with a really amazing marketing idea and then vice versa. Sometimes the marketing team can come up with a really great idea that solves a really big IT problem really easily. So you yeah. just got to create these opportunities for that and be open to it and, you know, make sure that you're seeking um, advice and, and knowledge from up, up the chain and down the chain and not just to all those people you aspire to be like, or who you think are amazing. Right. Uh, yeah. Often it's right in front of your own nose. It's right. No, there. no, it's totally. Yeah. I mean, you're in, and as a, as a boss, as a leader, you're, you're in the bubble. Like yeah. no one, no one really ever tells you the truth unless you like, you have to work at it. Yeah. And I always loved this one bit, bit of advice that I got and it was never, never, never speak in a meeting till the end. Yes. Like really just like, take it in because the reason is is because like whatever you say as a leader gets amplified by 100x so the the the, the thing you think is a throwaway comment we will crater your team and just it's just because you have so much power quote unquote and it's not it's actually it's not an earned power it's just this construct because you're really not in charge your whole job is to influence your team to do what you think is right you have no control and everyone thinks they have control. Once you realize you have no control and your and your whole job is to get stuff out of your out of your team's way, take in the information and make the tough decisions, your your life is a lot easier. I mean, I, I just had it took me so long to be like, bite my lip, don't say this is how I would solve it. Really just listen and always speak last. Always like just like I, it's hard to do, and because you're a genius, and yeah, you're the great guy, but. You're totally yeah. right. Like your team's going to solve it way better than you. Just 100%, hands down, full stop. Oh, they're just they're just never going to own it either fully unless you allow That's them true to, too. They, they That's allow true too. They, they allow to do it. Yeah. And th this is not only true for your own team you're dealing with. This is also really important that you do it this way when you're working with your clients. So mm -hmm. I love I love a meeting with all the clients and what I'll do is I'll specifically know the chain of command and I'll call out people's names and I begin with the lowest 
person on the chain of command with title wise and ask them first what it does is it does a it does a, a bunch of things one is it includes them so they don't just agree with their leader but it also allows that leader to really understand how much their team understands what's yes. happening yes. and often they start to realize holy shit my team is really not aligned with what the mission visions and values are where we're going i thought they knew and they can and they can go okay like we definitely have some work here to do but it also gives them an opportunity to right. to to see that so i just always i always i control it from a very controlled way but it's a it's great great advice we start practicing it first at our second agency because we had that problem or my second agency had that problem with that and then i started using it in sales and client meetings and everything else as well too it works it works great for that too love that Matthew, just such a great conversation. So much appreciate you and what you're doing. Look, okay, just such, yeah, like it's just amazing. So thanks again for for all your time. Good luck Thank and all you you're for doing. Having me. Oh yeah, it's it's my pleasure. I love talking shop. You know, like again, yeah, I really too. get to talk with. Yeah, nerd out. It's the fun folks. To nerd out. Yeah, yeah. The, it's fun to nerd <laughs> out, and like the folks that are doing what I do. So stay safe and uh, yeah, good luck to everything. You too. Bye bye now. Thanks so much, Matthew, for being on the show. What a really cool conversation about uh, all things marketing and demand gen and all these sort of things that I know all entrepreneurs are trying to get better at. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Matthew. You don't need a big advertising budget to sell, nor do you need to rely solely on referrals. Instead, Focus on ways to build relationships and community by offering help, being of service, and providing spaces where people can problem solve together. Well, this is something that I'm a big uh, believer in. I mean, that's the reason why I do the podcast, <laughs> obviously, uh, one, one part of it. Um, but it's really important to be of service. And I have a lot of friends that tell me this all the time. And I know, you know, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you're just like, gosh, I wish the, the money would come or the sales or... It just gets frustrating because you're sort of sometimes spinning your wheels. But what I've found, as what has Matthew has found, is that if you're part of a community and you're adding value and you're being of service, eventually the sales and the money will come. And this is definitely a long game. This is, you got to be patient. So ask yourself questions like, which community can I be of service to? How can I be of service have I set up my company, my career, you know, my lifestyle so I can play the long game? So something to think about. Encourage input from team members who may be low in rank but may be able to provide perspective and ideas that might otherwise be overlooked or unheard. Yes, 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 indeed. I think the thing about this is as the leader of an organization, uh, people really look at what you say under a microscope. So you may think you're just, you know, being helpful by adding, you know, hey, what about this? What about that? Turns out that you're going to skew, people are going to skew towards your opinion. So I think the best way to handle this is always talk last. Just try really hard to not talk. <laughs> it's hard to do. I get it. Don't get me wrong. But be, you know, be willing to just sit there and listen. And so, so ask yourself questions like, do I really need to have input right now? Um, what should I say that's going to move this conversation forward? Uh, how do I say certain things? You know, again, what you say matters. It, it may feel to you like a throwaway comment, but people will really like take hold of it. So you really got to be careful with that. 
Matthew encourages entrepreneurs to focus on being of service by posting thoughtful comments and content in social media instead of engaging in cold outreach strategies. Get yourself seen by having something valuable to offer. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that cold outreach is not valuable, but I do agree with Matthew. In fact, I'm trying to do this right now. As I mentioned, I mean, the reason I do the podcast is to be of service and to help people, especially uh, the next generation of entrepreneur, you know, educate, inspire them. Like, yeah, give it a shot. And um, yeah, you have to ask yourself certain questions about that though. But again, you know, what community am I trying to serve? How can I be of use? Um, you know, and even through that feedback loop, you actually do get a lot of really good insights into your product and service. And are you really onto something or not? So there you have it. The actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Matthew. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.